Welcome back to the Fit for Golf podcast. In this episode, I am joined by Dr. Sasho McKenzie. Sasho is regarded by many as the world's leading golf biomechanics researcher. He works as a consultant for many of the world's top golf coaches and players. He also has an extensive background as a strength and conditioning coach and is an avid golfer himself playing to a plus two handicap. The main topic of discussion was how wrist angles in the golf swing influence club head speed. We also touched on hand speed, should golfers spend time isolating grip strength in their training, and how overload and overspeed training with the stack system can play a role in improving your swing mechanics and club head speed. Sasha was also the guest for episode 13 of this podcast, and in both episodes he provided a wealth of information. Just before we get started, a quick reminder that Fit for Golf has its own app. It is currently being used by nearly 5,000 golfers around the world, ranging all the way from PGA Tour winners to high handicap beginners to juniors and seniors. There are programs to suit everyone and the detailed video instruction makes it very simple to follow. You can get 20% off a one-year subscription by entering the code FFGPOD. You will not find the app in the App Store just yet. You must go to the website www.fitforgolf.blog forward slash app. Now to the episode with Dr. Sasho McKenzie. Sasho McKenzie, thank you very much for joining me. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Excellent stuff. So, Sasho, today you make history. You are the first person to be interviewed twice on the Fit for Golf podcast. So, a huge congratulations. <laughs> oh, that's a, that's amazing. It's kind of like uh, being the only place to have a 440-meter track, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sasho, you, as I mentioned, were already on the show previously, and we had pretty in-depth discussion about some of the things that go into club head speed. And since then, it's gotten quite a lot of good feedback. There's been some questions pop up and something I've been thinking about lately, and it's why this podcast is happening. I asked you a question about the role of the wrist in generating club head speed. And you suggested that maybe a podcast rather than you know answering on Twitter or by email or something like that would be a good idea. Would you like to maybe um, start approaching that question? I'm sure... There's a lot of factors go into it. There might be a certain way that you'd like to approach that question. Yeah, sure. Um, it, it is a good question. It's the, what happens at the wrist um, is uh, certainly more uh, highly correlated to club head speed than um, any other joint uh, in the body. That's one way to say it. Um, you know, even if we just look at um, uh, the the angular velocity. Um, you know, how fast are someone's hips rotating, torso, arm, the correlations get higher the closer you get to the club. Um, and your uh, options for what you can do with those particular joints, I think, get get a little bit less the closer you, you get to the club and the closer you get to impact as well. So I think it's a great question. And also, um, yeah, maybe, I, you know, I don't want to go as far as say there's a lot of myths out there, but... Um, there's definitely uh, information on both sides of the coin about, um, you know, should you uh, try to create lag, don't hold lag, um, it doesn't really matter. Um, so it's probably worth having a discussion around it. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. I think for, you know, 
maybe amateurs listening or people who aren't golf instructors at least, what they are most familiar with is the term lag. And I guess they're familiar with maybe looking at either slow motion video or pictures in 2D face on of a golfer. And they might look at, you know, how much, say, lag or angle there is created when maybe the arm is parallel to the ground in the downswing. Or they might look at the position of the arm when the club gets to its last parallel before impact. How valuable are these things in assessing what the wrist might be doing and how it might be either helping or not really contributing a whole lot to your total club head speed? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, so let's, uh, maybe we'll get some of the important but boring stuff out of the way. Hold on to that question because I might get lost in thought here. Um, So uh, the, the wrist has two anatomical movements. We've got ulnar radial deviation. That's kind of, you know, moving your thumb towards your forearm, moving your pinky towards your forearm. Ulnar's the pinky one and thumb is the uh, 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 radial. Um, wrist flexion which extension. A, which a lot of people would call hinging, the yep, ulnar perfect. deviation yep. and radial deviation. Yep, perfect hinging. And then flexion extension. Um, that's, uh, you know, moving. Cupping and bowing. Cupping and bowing. That's what people would call it. Yep. That's right. Yep. So um, uh, Dustin Johnson has a lot of wrist, uh, lead wrist flexion at the top. Um, and, um, oh, I'm going to think of something. Um, some guy. Webb Simpson. Webb Simpson's a perfect example who's got a ton of uh, extension at the top. Great. That was actually the golfer I had in my mind. I was just on the tip of my tongue. Um, and then uh, you could think of uh, a J.B. Holmes or a Xander Shoffley. Uh, would have not a lot of radial deviation at the top, um, whereas someone like a, um, a John Daly would have a, a lot of that at the top, yep. just to think of those motions. Um, pronation, supination, or rolling of the forearms isn't technically a, a wrist angle, but sometimes it gets it gets lumped in there. Um, now, all that being said, I don't think, that, you know, in terms of the generation of club head speed, we don't need to, at least for this conversation, go down into the weeds and necessarily parse out how much is flexion, how much is ulnar deviation, how much is, you know, um, each one of those things. It, it, I think it's okay to say, hey, you know, what is the, just that angle that we can look at between the shaft uh, and the lead forearm? Right. Um, yeah. Cause, cause that's what most people listening are going to be familiar with. That's what people will see when they look at a, a, a video image of a swing. Um, and yeah, so, so no, having said that, it's important to realize that the flatter a swing is or the lower the camera viewpoint is. So if you film someone from the ground, uh, face on looking up, um, that it would look like they have more lag. Um, so someone like, you know, Ben Hogan or Sergio Garcia would look like they have more lag than someone like uh, a Bubba Watson, maybe, or Phil Mickelson would be a good example of someone who's got a more upright swing plane. But um, if you are looking at your own video um, over and over again, and I think for the majority of golfers, <clears throat> um, you know, who are high handicap amateurs, um I think it's okay to look at your video from face on and say, okay, the angle I can see between my lead form and shaft, that's a, you know, a pretty helpful thing to, um, that I can play around with to increase club head speed, lag angle, um, realizing the limitations. But I think for a person trying to fix their own swing and make adjustments that that that's reasonable, uh, to look at that from, from a face on camera view. 
Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, I think it's a really good point talking about the difference in camera angles, first of all, that you need to be very consistent with your own camera setup so that you can get basically consistent images each time. And also the the shaft pitch or how horizontal or vertical the swing plane is in the downswing. Yeah. I can remember somebody showing me an example before and it was really interesting. They were giving a, a presentation on the golf swing and he had a golf club and he just got into, I would say, the kind of mid downswing position. And he was like, basically note how much lag I have here. And then without changing the, the angle between the club and his forearm, he just put the club into what would be called a more shallow position by making it more horizontal. And it looked like he'd way more lag. Yeah. And then he started tilting the club so that it was more steep or more vertical. And it looked like he was losing lag. And he was like, I haven't changed anything in my wrist angle. It's just the orientation of the club, basically. Yeah, so that's that's important to note. So um, all those caveats being said, there's still some some value in, in, in potentially assessing your own or having a coach assess your, your wrist angles in the downswing. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, so, so I think what I'm definitely interested in and maybe other people are interested in is like if we take, you know, a lot of people listening would be I know this is probably a hard question to answer, but a lot of people listening are somewhere in the 100 mile an hour club head speed range with driver, which is a nice round number to kind of assess anyway. With changes in how the wrist works, would you have any input on what type of contribution it could make to gaining or losing speed depending on how that wrist is working. I know there's tons of variables in that, but from even maybe just your coaching experience by educating someone on what their wrist is doing and how they might possibly change it. Yeah. Well, it's certainly the one that if, if I was going to constrain a joint to limit your club head speed, that's the one I would do. If I locked your your wrists out yeah. at, uh, you know, 180 degrees, uh, you know, or, or you know, uh, whatever, I fixed them at a certain angle, that's going to have probably more impact on reducing your club head speed than if I isolated any other joint. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so there's that. So it's, you know, that's, it's clear that it's, it's really important. Contribution is an interesting one. Um, and I, I, I will define it a little bit more um, concretely in a second. Um, but there's associations. Let's start with that one. Um, what are the associations? If you change wrist angle, what, what are you likely to see happen with club at speed? So it's like, yeah, we got all the things changing. But if we're just looking at a statistical relationship, um, and there's one uh, really good study that, that's been done um, by Chu et al. Um, from the University of Pittsburgh in 2010. Um, and you can actually uh, grab that if you Google me and it. I think I've got a free PDF of it on my – it's not free, but, um, you know, I think this stuff should be free. <laughs> I save the conversation for uh, uh, publishing companies um, getting people to work for free and making all the money for another day. Um but so what made the study awesome was the number of golfers, 308 uh, amateur golfers, which is unheard of um, in any type of biomechanical research. So they yeah. had 308 golfers. They did full uh, body motion capture. They even had force plate data. And their uh, outcome measure was ball speed. So not even just club head speed, but like, yeah, I wonder how fast the ball's going. Um, uh, so pretty, um, pretty impressive. They did... Um, uh, regression analysis 
fancy term for saying, hey, we got all these variables in the swing. Can we predict ball speed um, from all these variables? Which ones are the best predictors? And they picked uh, four different points in time. They ran three models, three analyses of four different points in time in the swing, top of the swing, uh, part the way down, 40 milliseconds to go, which is, you know, about last shaft parallel and then impact. I'll speed up this discussion. Um, but the, the point is to say that is, is a really well done study for the most part, especially relative to other research that's been out there. Um, and they found that of all the variables, of all the points in the swing, including ground reaction forces, center of pressure shifting, X factor, you name it, they, they did the whole gamut. Um, you know, arguably, maybe they could have put some in there in a little bit better way. But of all the ones they did measure, hundreds of variables, um, the wrist hinge angle, so what we're calling lag, but they aren't limited by camera angle because they're using 10, you know, they're using 3D systems. So that, that angle between the lead form and shaft um, at... Uh, 40 milliseconds to go, so about last shaft parallel, um, had the most association with club head speed. Um, so it did a better job of predicting what your club head speed would be than anything else that they measured at all the different points in time. So right there, you have to say, okay, yes, there's a definitely going to be a quote unquote contribution. Wow. Um, and so to, to, to quantify it a little bit more, um, I'm going to tweak your number of 100 miles per hour um, just a little bit so I can use exactly their data. Um, so they had an average ball speed for those 308 golfers of about 140 miles per hour. So this was driver, I'm assuming. They yes. Were using, yes, yeah. they're using driver. Yep. So and you think a lot of people say, oh, geez, that, that, it was actually like 137, but we'll use 140 because it's a nice number, mm-hmm. uh, nicer number. Um which is kind of slow, you know, for you think, oh, yeah, I think, think that a lot of the hardcore golfers that you and I might work with, it, you know, are probably closer to 100. But the reality is that um, driver speeds are probably down in the mid 80s as an average for golfers. Yeah. Um, so 140 miles per hour was the average and the average uh, wrist angle, hinge angle. So that angle between the lead form and club with 40 milliseconds to go was um, 145 degrees. So if you can picture that, um, we can picture 90, we can picture 180, so 145 degrees. So 145 degrees gave you 140 miles an hour ball speed. Okay, if you can remember those two numbers. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the, the way that their math worked out is they would predict that for every 10 degree change in, in wrist cock angle, um, so if you ha- had more lag, if you increased your lag by 10 degrees, then your ball speed would go up by five miles per hour. Wow. So, you, yeah. Yeah. So, a lot. yeah. So I'm assuming there are probably, you know, they didn't report all 308, but it's very reasonable to assume with 308 golfers, somebody had a ball speed of uh, 170 miles per hour. It's not crazy, right? Um, so that would mean that they'd be around 90 degrees. So that would be like your right angle between the shaft and forearm with 40 milliseconds to go. And I know lots of tour players there, certainly long drivers are there, right? Yeah. And then the folks that um, would be past that 145 degrees. So let's say someone was at, um, you know, 165 degrees. So, you know, that club's looking almost straight. Those guys that kind of just drag the club through impact would be down around 130 miles per hour for ball speed. Um, So, so what, what this is saying is that the best experimental research study that's been done and a pretty darn good one, they included force plates, a ton of golfers that the the strongest relationship to ball speed 
was this wrist angle and what we classically def- call lag. Yeah. Um, Late yeah. release would be another term that would be put on that type of motion too, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Delayed release. Yep. And actually, uh, funny enough, um, the, the first golf article I ever published in 2002 was uh, uh, called Delayed Release in the Golf Swing. Um, it was a, it was a simulation study. So between that study and this one by uh, Chu, it's probably got everything covered. Yeah, that's that's really <laughs> interesting because so so much of what we read and see online when we're you know researching things about clubhead speed and people are posting tips is about ground reaction force. How to yeah. use the ground differently? Correlations between you know jumping power and swing power and how we can you know load into our lead foot better to change our speed really rarely now from what i see do we see much about the wrist or read much about the wrist whereas it's clearly extremely important for speed yeah you can um you know um do whatever you want with the ground. You can generate, you can get a whole bunch of angular momentum into the system. You can have the best ground reaction force pattern in the world. Um, but if you don't get that out to the club, it doesn't really matter. Um, so, you know, that uh, having the right risk conditions to allow that, that momentum that's been generated from the ground to get out to the club is, is pretty critical. Okay. I have two follow-up questions on, on that study, Sasho, and that, kind of takeaway from the study basically in regards to that wrist angle the players so i want to make sure i phrase this properly now the players who were able to get that bigger wrist angle and have the higher club head speed and ball speed how much of that do you think is down to other things that they're doing with their body in the swing so things like having a different type of sequence as opposed to somebody just hearing this information and then saying I'm going to hold this wrist angle for as long as I can in my downswing. Yeah. Does that make sense? Totally. I would say zero people are holding it. Um, And I think that that, that's terrible. Um, So the, the, the paper I published with my uh, supervisor in 2002 used a, um, a four dynamics model. It was a three segment planar um, uh, model. Um, and some people might say, well, it's not very representative, but to answer specific questions, it was pretty insightful. Um, and it improved on some other research, um, because we modeled the muscles a little bit better than other researchers and, um, uh, had three segments as opposed to two, but still had a, a lot of limitations. Um, that's okay. We can still learn stuff from it. So what we did was we could, um, uh, program in the uh, wrist torque so that it would hold the wrist angle at 90 degrees until it decided to have that angle open up. And it, we, we use an optimization algorithm that looks at, hey, when do we turn on and turn off the muscles to maximize club head speed? So it was um, about 0.7 meters per second. I should have had that in miles per hour, but would multiply that by 2.24. Mike, you're really good at math. I know you are. So <laughs> <laughs> we're looking at a couple of miles per hour. If you, uh, with if this model held that angle, right? Yeah. Like, like let's, we're radially producing a torque that's producing radial deviation, holding that wrist cock angle into the downswing fractionally longer um, then this natural opening would occur and then pouring on a wrist torque or, you know, allowing the wrist to, to, to release uh, on their own. Um, 
And you, you, I think it was, I want to say, actually, let me correct you. I think it was 0.7% was the, not even 1%. So 0.7% increase in club head speed. Um, and yeah, so it's like the conclusion that we made was, yeah, you can, for this model, which isn't very externally valid, you know, it doesn't really represent a human, even in this idealized state, um, holding that angle is really not helping you that much. Certainly nothing like what was happening in, you know, what was reported in that CHU study, where I guarantee you, none of them were probably holding the angle that that late. So that's probably why lag got demonized. Um, uh, and maybe it should have been, I guess, in that sense, is that trying to hold that angle is probably pretty detrimental. And the main reason, and we mentioned in that paper, even back in 2002, is that you know, you've got your wrist muscles, um, you've got to shut off the ones that are holding the lag and turn on the ones that are, you know, going to get rid of the lag. Um, and you can't instantaneously shut off your muscles. Um, yep. You know, it takes time for that torque to ramp down. And that becomes a very awkward motion to make um, really late in the swing, slash maybe impossible. Um with any level of consistency. So, uh, yeah, definitely don't hold the angle. So 100% in my mind, um, it's everything to do with what, what else is happening, um, in the body. Now that said, there are, uh, uh, you know, I've measured the, the, the force and torques that, uh, good players are applying to the club. Um, at the start of the downswing and transition, there are some golfers who definitely manipulate that, that wrist angle. Um, uh, John Rahm is a good example of that. Um, Brooks Kepka does it a little bit, you know, and then we've got extremes like, you know, uh, uh, Matthew Wolf or Ryan Moore. Um, but that's very early at the very start of the downswing. So it's not, they're not holding that angle. They're kind of, you know, putting the club into a position, um, late, uh, in the backswing. We'll say Brooke Henderson's another one that would, you know, does a lot of stuff to that grip in transition to get yep. the club into a certain position. But, you know, once that downswing starts, then they're done trying to hold that angle with the wrist muscles. Yeah, fantastic. So I think the next question that pops up then is if we want to have this uh, large wrist angle late in the downswing, about 40 milliseconds before impact as referenced in the study, but we don't want to consciously try and hold on to that angle with our wrists. What are some of these things in the backswing or early transition that good players are doing to allow this angle to be present late in the swing without trying to do it? What are some of the things that they're doing in their swing that maybe the players who don't have the angle are not doing? Yeah, well, um, that's a tougher question to answer because I, I um, in, in some ways, a lot of golfers are maybe um, doing the best they can with what they've got, um, uh, you know, maybe and probably not everybody. Let me give you a, an analogy that's maybe a little more straightforward. Um, so um, if you uh, look at, say, uh, high jumpers. Um, from you pick any given Olympics and you're like, hey, let's look at their the height jumps and their finish position. It, it's going to correlate really highly with their how fast they're running just before their final plant, right? Um, yeah. Have we done this before? I feel like I'm getting deja vu, but maybe not. Um, you would remember. I don't, think, I don't think you brought this up, no. Okay. Um, so you go, hey, 
you know, you're high jumper, you're the high jump coach for um, Sweden and you're like, we finished eighth um, at a 12 and you're like, wow, look, all these guys that are ahead of you um, were running faster when they planted. Easy solution. We just need to get you to run faster and you'll jump higher. Um, but especially at the elite level is what these high jumpers have figured out is that um, they're already running as fast as their body can handle for that last takeoff phase. So they've already figured out for themselves, look, I need so much speed. So when I plant, I'm loading um, the, the braking required to stop my motion, loads the muscles that are then going to be per- performing the vertical motion, right? Yeah. And if I run any faster and I plant, then actually um, my, I'm going to have to be forced to generate or in order to jump, force my muscles to generate forces that they can't even generate. And I just blow right through takeoff. Um, so you almost first need to like increase their capacity to be able to yep. handle that extra speed. Um, so yeah, it might not just be as simple as, as getting them to do something that, that allows them to have more lag. F- for example, I think, um, if, you could always increase someone's lag if you kind of shut down what the rest of the body was was doing. Um, uh, so you could have a ton of lag, but they'd be forced to slow the rest of the segments down, and then there'd be a net negative, you know, net slowing down of club head speed. Um, it, it, you know, let me, let's get to something practical before I get too far down the rabbit hole. I think um, too many people, um, golfers that, that get to that position have probably applied too much wrist torque at the start of the downswing. Um, the players who don't get enough, uh, lag late in the swing. Yes. So let's, uh, let's work on, let's talk about something actual. So I think, you know, uh, your, your wrist flexibility can be a limitation to that, but I see a ton of people where, um, if you and you can do this yourself on, on camera, this is an easy one. Um, I want to see um, motion in the lower body before that club head changes direction, and usually that club head's changing direction because the wrist angles have changed because that wrist cock angle has changed, um, and that's the common one: is that those those muscles across the wrist joint start to fire too much too soon. Yeah. Um, and you, you can actually, uh, yeah, then there's no going back. You know, there's very few golfers um, and, and w- ones I can think of are quite slow, um, like a David Toms or a KJ Choi, who, you know, had noticeable amounts of wrist on cocking and then kind of held that angle and then finished their downswing. Rocco Mediate is a good one too, I think, for people to, yeah. to think about that motion. And he was obviously on, on TV a lot during the U.S. Open and since. Yes, exactly. But also, you know, would probably never sniff uh, 118 miles per hour with the driver. Um, uh, Whereas, you know, if you look at the other extremes, like a Gary Woodland or Sergio Garcia, even though he's got a lot, you know, those um, adding that, you know, there certainly seems to be a bit of a correlation there. Um, So, yeah, trying to soften up those hands in transition um, is is probably the most practical advice. Um, uh, I think that it's tied in with um, slicing in that, okay, um, if, if, if I leave this club lagging, that's going to make it, there's this perception that it's going to be more challenging for me to square the face. Um, so that's part of it. So they think, okay, let's do stuff to get that angle out of the wrist as early as possible. And you hear, you know, 
lots of people say Jack Nicholas. Well, you know, release from the top. Um, and I think that's great if subconsciously you've got built into your system this natural ability to, you know, kind of lag the club behind and <laughs> and then, you know, uh, you have no problem squaring it up. But um, uh, I don't think releasing it from the top is a great feeling for a lot of those high handicappers. If you, if you film yourself face on and you see that that club popping up, yeah, you know, before you get much action in the lower body, um, it's probably not good. Yeah, it's amazing when you watch like real fast swingers in face on slow motion video. And if you watch what happens, their body versus the club in transition, it's almost like that they turn into the club. Yes. Before the club has moved at all. And then when they, and then when the arm starts swinging down, you can really see like how much wrist angle is there. It's really, really impressive. And I think it's, it's that ability that they have to almost start rotating long before the wrist does anything in the downswing that allows that club maintain so much lag. And then there's that really late release of speed into the ball. Whereas, as you were saying, a lot of people almost once they get to the top, the first thing that happens is that wrist uncocks in, in non-scientific terms, but releases that angle. And then there's no way to hold it once it's started. It's, it's too late because the downswing is over so early. Yeah. Rory, if you look at his 3D, actually has a tiny, tiny bit of it, but then he brings it back a little bit. And it's very, it's not even perceptible on um, camera video. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I would classify that as an idiosyncrasy, you know, just a little thing that he does and it doesn't really amount to to too much. But um, yeah, you're you're 100% correct there. You know, there's been uh, some you pull up any slow mo of anybody, Bryson. That's one thing Bryson's improved the most. He was very he he never really you know cast it or had that club pop out, but he was very fixed in those joints, no yeah. stretches. You know, three years ago, and now he's got amazing stretches across all joints in the right sequence. Um, John Rom, it wasn't a great angle, but there was one recently on Twitter uh, from like really close down the line, um, and you could see how much he was able to get that lower body going while the club and arm were still going in the backswing to get, you know, get those, uh, get the stretches. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, go ahead. So my next question was going to be in regards to training. Do you think that physical limitations in the wrist are something that a lot of people may have to, either work on or work around when we're talking about this wrist angle? Do you think that maybe wrist flexibility training, wrist strength training is something that could help this? Or is it more usually a technique thing where they need to just learn a better sequence and what these feelings are? Um, yeah, maybe 50-50 um, for, you know, uh, I could see a lot of people benefiting from both. Um and maybe most people benefiting from from uh, either. Um, um, let me give you an example of someone who's decided to uh, overcome their physical limitation. At least that's how I perceive it. Uh, someone who maybe probably one of your favorite uh, golfers. Who's your who? Who are some of your favorite golfers, Mike? Patrick Harrington. Yeah, he just did a little short game session with a, a little uh, chip off. Shane, of Shane Lowry. Shane Lowry, yeah. If you watch his trail hand from a down-the-line view, um, it almost comes off the grip. Yeah. 
um, and in a full swing. And the only reason I can think if most people, if that happened with most people that at that point in the swing, I think they'd panic and they, they would have no idea where the face is. But I think he, I'm guessing I could be completely wrong here, um, but that he's got some mobility limitations in, in being able to put his wrist in the position that he needs the club to get into to play good golf. And he's just said, well, you know what? I'm just going to take my hand off the club so I can allow that club to get into that position. Um, now, mo- if you were uh, the you know run, rank and file amateur, you would never do that, probably never practiced enough or figured that out um, or confident enough to even try it. So you keep that wrist on the club, and now you, you've lost a ton of that lag um, because that trail wrist just can't get into the position given yeah. the, the way the rest of your body is. So I, when I see that, uh, it, you know, make sure you guys uh, that are listening uh, Google up Shane Lowry down the line, and you know I've seen it in two or three things. Maybe he's changed it then. Probably not. Um, it's amazing to watch that hand kind of come off, and I think that's his way of being like, right, I'm going to address this limitation that I have, and. Just take the club off, take the hand off the club. Um, but uh, yeah, and certainly uh, I see lots of people who could, you know, use a little bit of extra wrist mobility. I've never um, measured someone improving it um, and I've never tried to actually have someone prove it. But um, having played volleyball at university um, uh, and setting and having be, having a lot of wrist flexibility, uh, wrist flexibility being very important with setting, um, as well as passing to be able to get your forearms together. Um, I have seen people over four years really change um, the ranges of motion. I remember having a, a professor um, who's a very good um, uh, anatomy professor, but saying, you know, you can, you're not going to be able to change the ligaments um, and, and tendons enough to change the way that these, these joints work. But I was like, well, you know, I've watched guys over three, four years do it. Um you know, being able to, uh, like if you're doing, say, I'm not recommending this, but just, you know, people doing a push-up on a volleyball um, and not being able to get uh, their whole hand in contact with the surface of the volleyball, you know, constraining where their hand is on the ball. Yeah. Um, but then over the course of, uh, you know, a couple of years of practicing and doing stuff, all of a sudden you can tell that their wrist mobility has greatly increased. Um and I don't know exactly, you know, structurally what's going on there. Maybe the ligaments are getting a little more loose. Maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad. But it probably can happen. I just haven't looked at it with golf. But um, I could see muscle, just general muscle tension being an issue and being able to, uh, you know, increase flexibility there might help as well. Yeah, I think there's likely to be some changes possible for almost everybody if they're pretty diligent with that training. That um, runs us into the next question nicely, Sasha. It's on a similar vein of thought. Gris, grip, wrist, forearm strength is something that people often ask about how important it is for club head speed. We've talked about this a little bit before, um, how important that is and the value of training grip strength, wrist strength, forearm strength separate to the other strength training that people may be doing in the gym, like deadlifting, pull-ups, rows, you know, um, exercises where their grip is going to be basically holding very high, tightly anyway to hold on to the weight. It's, it's a requirement of the exercise. Can you dig into what your thoughts are on that maybe, please? Yeah. Um, I think that um, if... <sighs> My guess is that just doing 
Um, let me get my thoughts organized here. The way you need to be strong to have a benefit, if there is one, but with grip strength in the golf swing, improving that is going to be probably best done by just doing lifts, uh, you know, heavy repetitions of lifts that aren't directly targeting the wrist joints. <laughs> Um, you know, like I, I do, I really like your, uh, rehab stuff for golfer's elbow. And that might be, you might categorize that as, okay, I'm targeting wrist strength. That'd be very similar type of exercise. For definite. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I would say that that, um, you know, my gut and just a little bit of theory, certainly no experimental research to back this up is that that would have less benefit to how it might help your golf swing than spending, um, three months improving your deadlift, your dips and pull-ups. Um, you know, uh, even if you're doing like incline bench, the stuff you need to do to, you know, get 80, an 80, set 80 pound dumbbells from the ground up to your chest. Um, you're really torquing around your wrist quite a bit. Um, I, I think that might have, um, more benefit transfer over to the golf swing than um, than just targeting the the forearm muscles, which is really where your wrist strength's coming from. Yeah, perfect. Uh, uh, and to be honest, I think that I, I see the the most transfer from um, heavy set, you know, speed training. So even I, I um, my swing kind of looks a bit like like yours. We, we kind of struggle with the same stuff um, in terms of generating speed. You did some stuff with the stack. I don't know. You were a tennis court or something. You said you were working yep. on wrist stuff. And it was the best swing I'd seen you make um, in terms of speed generation. Um, uh, and, and I find that that improves for me too when I swing heavier stuff. So if I load up the stack with like 300 and it's um, that's all I warm up with. I When I do warm up, I leave 300 on the stack. I don't even do any light stuff because that's it's that feeling of being comfortable allowing my wrist to to be passive in transition is is you know is really helped by swinging heavier stuff yeah um and i think the opposite is true swinging really light stuff um tends to make it feel like i uh, you know the the driver's owning me you know it's like i get in and I'm, I'm more likely to um i feel like i'm more likely to cast it's interesting the lighter you swing the more you're able to practice late lag in my opinion, like you can really, you, know, you can hold a ton of lag, not hold, you can make a swing with a ton of lag if you've got, you know, the stack with, uh, you know, 100 grams on it, right? You can bring that down. I can feel like Shane Lowry where the club's barely in my hands. Yeah, and absolutely. then I and then I whip it out at the last minute. So, you know, that's nice to train that um, the feeling of getting that, that, that lag out really late and having it be beneficial to club at speed. And in fact, you know, when I'm doing one-arm swings, um, that's when I can see a 10 mile per hour jump It's like, I'm swinging, I'm swinging. I'm like, okay, no, I got to really focus on increasing my lag here because this club is so light. I'm going to be able to get it out at the end. I'll get some stuff to talk about that before we end. Uh, but that's a moot point if I've lost it in transition, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So uh, that's where I like the heavy stuff. Um, it gives me the confidence to be like, Hey, if I can manipulate, um, this, uh, you know, 300 grams on the end of the stack, then my driver's no problems. So I feel more comfortable in transition to kind of leave that lag there. Yeah, that's, that's really good stuff. That's actually 
something that I was just about to bring up before you did. And I think it's a nice way for people to think about their overall training um, and how it might impact their grip, wrist, forearm strength, which is a common question. If your grip and wrists and forearms are already getting heavy stimulation, which they will be from things like deadlifts, rows, pull-ups, lat pull-downs, bench presses, all these types of things, rather than spending time with, you know, are spending a lot of time with that more isolated wrist and forearm and grip training exercises, you need to factor in the stimulation that your grip, wrist and forearms will be getting from overload and overspeed training, like in the stack system. Because when you're changing the weight that's on the end of the club, that's going to have a huge effect on how the wrists are being basically loaded and stressed, which is what you brought up there. Yeah, yeah. An analogy can be, you know, something related. I never, I, I, I you know, um, we're usually 99.99% of the time we are on the same page with training. It's ama- amazing you, how much stuff you post and that I see very few other people uh, agreeing with my philosophies. Um, you seem to hit them on the head all the time. One recent one was um, that I've been... <laughs> preaching for years to my athletes is, um, you know, they'll do, uh, go do abs and they'll do planks for two minutes and then they'll do, so they've done 50 minutes of ab work. And I'm like, yeah, that the ab is a muscle. <laughs> like, so the way I prescribe abs is here's an exercise you can do six to eight reps of because we want to increase its strength. But it, yep. you know, the pushback that I've gotten from 99% of the people in the world. And then I saw you <laughs> post the other day saying, yeah, yeah, let's, uh, it's a muscle. We target this as like, yeah, music to my ears. So that being said, uh, maybe we disagree with this, but I rarely uh, prescribe uh, biceps, triceps. Um, I, I like, um, you know, building the strength in the course, but like with sprinters and I find golf the same way. If you have a really heavy limbs, um, you're, you're probably not going to be able to swing as fast. So let's build up the lats and the pecs. But when you do a, you know, a bench press or you do a pull-up, your biceps and triceps are getting targeted, right? So it's not like you need to then go isolate them and and jack them up unless you want your shirt sleeves to look really tight. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, I wanted to touch on two um, before we kind of wrapped up this segment and it ties in with what we were talking about in regards to the uh, wrist flexibility and also maybe some injury prevention stuff. I've started prescribing like very small amounts of direct wrist and forearm training in some of my programs, something like maybe two sets of eight to 10 reps of either like a weighted flexion and extension or a, you know, hinging and unhinging or a supination and pronation. Because what I noticed or felt when I started doing it is that Whatever about the benefits or how limited the benefits of this increasing strength there might be and its relationship to club head speed, I think it's also really good for mobility because you're taking, you know, a heavy load relative to that wrist joint. It might only be 20 pounds, but it's heavy when it's isolated on your wrist and you're trying to go through as big a range of motion as you can in a variety of different movements with your wrist. I think that can be really, really helpful for improving the mobility we were talking about if it's limited with someone. And maybe it might help with, you know, just strengthening the wrist and elbows like we're talking about to help with injury prevention. Because that golfer and tennis elbow stuff is something that I have noticed anecdotally popping up a lot more since so many more people have started trying to train for speed 
because sure. they just had a massive increase in volume of swings compared to what they were used to. Mm-hmm. And some of it is with very heavy or very light implements. So it's a different type of stress. And it's often combined with it's gotten more popular. So it's gotten more popular to do speed training and it's gotten way more popular for people to have a mat and a net or a simulator in their home. So they're now practicing all winter and they just go nuts with it too early, too soon. And their elbow or wrist starts to give them some trouble. But that's kind of um, besides the point. And then, yeah, you touched really nicely on how the different weights with the stack, some of the very heavy, like 300 or 280 feels crazy heavy um, yeah. if, you, if you're not used to it. Is there anything else you've noticed with or anything else that you believe um, different weights with the stack might have influence on in the swing in terms of like timing or different types of swing characteristics? Um, yeah. So, well, just to maybe reiterate what I said, but, I, you know, I think that um, the working both heavy and light, realizing it's working a different point in the swing, if you're trying to, you know, improve your coordination, specifically, you know, delaying that wrist release um, is swinging light stuff allows you to have the confidence to really lag it, you know, to the yep. point where your hand can almost come off the club um, and feel like, yeah, late, you're, 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 you're really changing that angle between the lead form and the wrist. I mean, you have no trouble to do it because it's, because it's light. So getting that confidence. Um, but then, you know, you can't get there. Um, if you've already, you know, if you, if your wrists don't have a lot of mobility, um, or you're not comfortable keeping it to that, that point. Um, and that's where swinging the heavier stuff, uh, in my opinion, can help, um, gets the lag, at the start of the downswing prevents those wrists from popping out a little earlier, but then the light stuff uh, trains, well, what, what can you do late? Um, what, you know, we, we touched on um, uh, the concept of contribution earlier. And, and I mentioned that it was like a statistical relationship. Um, but the way I look at, at anything with the golf swing is very deterministic um, in terms of uh, physics, um, not just mathematical relationships, but um, so if, if someone says, well, what can this do to increase club head speed? Then, um, I know that literally club head speed gets added up from things that the golfer's done, right? There's no mysticism. It's to me, it's the exact same as the relationships between the impact between the club head and the ball. Um, if I know, uh, what, you know, the club head speed is the mass of the club and where the ball hits in the face, um, the moment of inertia of the club, I can tell you what's going to happen to the ball. Um, it's, yeah. it's physics. So um, if we look at the generation of club head speed, um, the, 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 we've got no club head speed at the top of the swing, the start of the downswing, essentially. So there's no energy in the club. We want to change that energy by as much as possible. We have to do work on it. Um, and so then you can say, okay, well, um, how can this wrist angle influence the work that I'm going to do in the club? Um, and, and then you can start to understand, right, well, well, why is this wrist angle important? Because it, because then you can understand its influence on how the work's being done. Um, and I, th- I think it's, it's easiest if we're to, if you're we're looking at this question to imagine the hands as part of the grip, most of the time, I don't like doing that. I like thinking of the club as being separate, but um, you have to be flexible in your perspective. And and if we think of the wrist joint as being the connection between the golfer and the club, that makes it a little bit easier. So 
we can do work on the club with our wrist muscles. Okay, they're quite weak. Um, and the club, those joints get rotating so fast that they really can't do much um, late in the swing. They can be trying to. I'm not saying that you don't try to, you know, um, use them as much as you can. Um, but they certainly don't have much ability to uh, change the amount of energy in the club late, the wrist muscles. Um, but the forces that are applied through the wrist joints do. Um, so if you look at, you know, the, you know, how much work the wrist muscles do in the swing, it's, it's you know, uh, very, very small. Um compared to how much work is done by those passive forces that pass through the wrist joints. The wrist muscles can be thought of as putting the club into a position that allows those passive joint forces to do more work late, to change the energy of the club late. So if you look at a downswing that's, um, um, you know, I'm going um, to pull one up here. Um, if you look at a downswing, let's say 0.25 seconds long, let's say 0.24, um, and it's 110 miles an hour. Halfway into that downswing, so 0.12 seconds into the downswing, we've got about a quarter of our club head speed being generated. So we've okay. still got 75% left to go. And the vast majority of that is going to come from the, the passive forces that are passing through those wrist joints, um, not the that wrist other muscles. things in the body have created. That's right. That other things in the body have created. Like um, the legs and torso and obliques and lats and shoulders and pecs and all these things. Exactly. Exactly. So the wrist muscles can actually mess things up for allowing those other body parts to get their energy out to the club. Um, if you've, if you've changed that that angle too soon, um, then there's not much you can do to get the energy that's been generated by those other body parts out to the club. Um, a, a really uh, a, a, you know easy way to demonstrate this is you know if you if you have just um, you know a pen and a string sitting on a table, and if you tie it to the end of the pen and you have the string at a 90 degree angle to the the pen, if you rip that string along its length, that's going to rotate the pen right? It'll actually square, yep. it'll square it up. The more you get rid of that angle between the, the string and the pen. So if you take it down to 180 degrees, so now it's in line with the string and you rip that string, there's no rotation of the pen, right? So that, that force you're applying hasn't really changed that angular motion of the pen at all. You're not going to really add club at speed at all. So you can you can see how yeah the more wrist angle you have um, uh, late in the downswing gives you the potential for you pulling that force on the grip to increase club head speed. Now you can always overdo it. So if you did a correlation like that um, Chu study did with three hundred eight amateur golfers, they had a wide range of ball speeds um, and a wide range of wrist angles. If you just did it with PGA Tour pros, so I've got a um, about uh, a database of about 130, you don't see much correlation. Um, and, and that's because with, with the tour pros, you don't see much correlation between this wrist angle and club head speed. Correct. Correct. Cause you have someone like a Dustin Johnson who could swing, um, at 200 miles per hour. Um, this is, it just as an example, ball speed yeah, ball, for people listening. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, ball speed. Um, but he's out there cruising at 180. Right. The guy's yeah. the guy's ball speed hasn't changed in 
15 years, right? He's probably one of the most consistently and consistently fast. But he could, if, you know, if held the gun to his head, I'm sure he could get 200. I know he could. And that's where you might start to see like that wrist angle change, change. a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you've got lots of people that are just swinging just fast enough. Um, and you've got so many other things that are uh, factoring into those differences in um, uh, ball speed or clubhead speed that it doesn't turn out to be a super important variable. And they're already all within that good range of wrist angle. You know what I mean? Yeah. Late. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. No, no one's casting. None of them are casting it from the top and losing it all because they're exactly. all exceptional players already. Right. So they've all put that club into a position where where um, the, the wrist muscles have allowed those passive joint forces to really do all the work late. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. So I have two more questions if you've time. I, I do. We don't have to get into them in as much detail. Um, we've talked about wrist angle, obviously, extensively. Something else that I'm often asked about is what people refer to as hand speed in the mm. swing. Yeah. Can you tell us? Now, that has a, that's a very broad thing. Like, oftentimes, I don't know what people mean when they ask it. I'm not sure if they quite mean, if they quite know what they mean when they're asking it. Can you tell us what the correct definition of hand speed is and what it means for club head speed? Yeah, sure. So I think um, the best way to define it actually was nice because I said, hey, it's easiest to think of the hands as being part of the club. Um, so uh, the vast majority of time that I've been seen it used in research, in the most functional way is to just say, you know what, we're defining the hands as a spot on the club that's bet- between the two hands. Mm-hmm. Right. So not looking like actually at like um, uh, a part on the hand because the hands wrap around the grip. So it's much easier yeah. to find it to say, hey, let's look at 10 centimeters down from the butt of the club, maybe 12 or 15, depending on how big the hands are. But let's say 10 centimeters. And how fast is the linear speed of that point on the grip? That would be hand speed. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So and that's, that's that's hand speed. And then how important is that hand speed? the peak hand speed or when it reaches its peak and its correlation with club head speed? Yeah, a decent uh, correlation with peak hand speed and club head speed, um, you know, probably in the neighborhood of 0.7 to 0.85, depending on the s- sample you're looking at. But even among tour pros, um, you know, it would probably be around, you know, 0.7. Yeah. Um, but... Um, uh, timing, not so much. Um, certainly a bit of a correlation with, um, the drop, but again, just a bit and even lower, probably, you know, 0.3, 0.4, uh, between, so hand speed peaks, I should say this, cause this is not intuitive hand speed peaks, uh, on average, um, halfway between shaft vertical and shaft parallel in the downswing. Okay. So, so um, you know, somewhere around when that shaft's about 60 degrees from parallel, if you can picture that face yeah. on, um, and some a little bit earlier, some a little bit later, but it's quite early when hand speed peaks, you know, so about halfway into the downswing, really, um, uh, in terms of position. Um, and you, but you, you can see guys like, um, so here's an, you know, Marty Jertz and I just had a discussion about this. He's my, uh, my partner in crime with the stack is he's got very high club head speed, 
um, and fits in nicely with um, PGA Tour players. So he can compare himself and kind of say, hey, you know what? I'm, you know, kind of, and he's elite level. He may, you know, uh, played in six majors and made the cut at Beth Page Black when uh, Kepka won. And won the PGA professional side of that tournament. Yeah, that's right. A very good player. And so he, um, uh, you know, consults me from time to time in his swing. And one thing was he's, he, he, he did this, um, Hey, uh, we, he did uh, champ and, um, Wilco and a bunch of players. Hey, here are their pecan speeds. I've got the graph sitting here in my phone. So we've got, you know, guys like uh, max hand speed with the driver. And that's a point, you know, about 10 centimeters down the shaft. So like, you know, Cameron champs, uh, 29, uh, Brandon Haggies, 26, um, and, Miles per hour, Jason Day's 23 uh, miles per hour. Um, Wilco Ninabar, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, you know, is around 29. Uh, Marty's 23.4. So he's right up there. You know, he's um, a little bit faster than Jason Day. Um, but you can see that the range. So you can see a correlation. Cameron Champ, Wilco Ninabar got the fastest and they've got clearly the fastest club at speed. So even in this small sample, there's a bit of a correlation. Yeah. Right. Hagee's really fast too for people who don't know. Yeah. It's like mid 180s ball speed, like mid 125 or so club head speed. Yes, exactly. I just analyzed uh, a couple of the swings uh, for Terry Rolls. Um, and he's, he's even he's even now easily in the 130s um, okay. compared yeah. to when he was 125. So, yeah, it's very fast. But then if we look at um, hand speeds at impact, um, uh, Cameron Champ drops down to like nine. So, loses 20. Um uh, Wilco's down to 10. Marty's down to two. Mm. So he's, he's did the text was, Hey, might need your help. Um, like, Hey, what, you know, is it because from a straight math perspective, um, we're talking about hand speed, you can do math and say, right. Um, we take your, uh, I mean, maybe you've seen, I've got a, a little thing out on Twitter where I discuss components of driver speed. Um, and I'm like, Hey, look, you can take the, the speed of the grip and then you can figure out the – add that onto the contribution from shaft rotation in the plane, right? And they literally add together to give you club head speed. So if your hands are going slower, so if your hands slow – if everything else stays the same, your hands slow down by five miles per hour, then you lose five miles per hour of club head speed. So Marty's looking at this going, okay, well, I was the same as a lot of these guys are very close, but now I'm down to two. Um, and What are the other guys who were similar speeds to Marty at impact? Uh, the, the lowest is five. Oh, champ okay. is nine. Um, you know, so Andrew Landry, who's a, uh, a bit slower than Marty, was um, he's now at five. So okay. Marty might be like, "Hey, I've lost." He's, lo- he's losing a lot relative to the guys he was the same peak speed as. Well, you would think, but it doesn't. A lot of hand speed, I mean. Sorry. Yes, a lot of yes. hand speed. Yes, yes, exactly. But um, <clears throat> Marty is actually, to me, the goal out of this, this group. So what he, that's an indication that he's done a much better job of getting the speed that he's generated in his body out to the club. Mm. Um, I don't like the word efficient in golf because, you know, I don't think it really applies, but he would be, uh, you know, more efficient. He's getting more of what he's done out to the club. And that's awesome for scaling your, in particular, scaling your irons. Um, So if you have, if you and I have the same seven iron speed, Right. Uh, let's say uh, we're both, um, you know, uh, 95 mile an hour, seven iron club head speed, but your driver speed is 125 and mine's only 120. I'm like, oh, well, what's going on there? Well, 
the more contribution to clubhead speed that comes from a rotational aspect, the less come from the linear speed of your hand. So rotation means how fast is the shaft rotating in the plane of the swing versus how fast the grip is linearly moving, your hand speed, the more that scales to your driver. Um, so that's good. So that, you know, that means that, that Marty can, can be out there, um, with, uh, you know, a seven iron and that he's going to get more, you know, hitting similar seven irons as to say someone on the tour, but his driver is going to be going a lot further. Yeah. Um, now the, the only caveat would be maybe this influences your accuracy, right? Like, okay, you're, you're really kind of putting on the brakes, so to speak with the hands to get more speed out to the club. Yeah. Maybe that's in, but Marty (laughs) drives the ball unbelievably straight. Yeah. So, so, you know, I texted him, I was like, you're, you know, the reply back was, um, I wonder if you can actually even see exactly what I replied, but it was something like, uh, um, I like it. You're winning. (laughs) Uh, you're better, you know, you're, I wouldn't touch it. Um, so, um, yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on, on hand speed. And, and here's an interesting one that, um, uh, you'll see, uh, Ping will post from time to time like their Enzo data, and I think they have Wilco in there and some other guys, maybe Champ. And they're like, "Look at how fast he gets to this peak hand speed." And then there are some uh, coaches who would say, "Yeah, look, that's key. You want to get your hands going as fast as you can, as early as you can. Look, this is you know important for club at speed." But that's not cause and effect, and can have some big time negative consequences. Um, they're they're, those goals are at odds with each other. Do you want to increase your club head speed at impact or do you want to increase your hand, maximize your hand speed? Those aren't one and the same. So what did I just, you know, say like uh, max hand speed for Wilco was about 30. Well, I could blow them out of the water. You could blow them out of the water. My club head speed is going to be 50 miles an hour though. So I realize it's a podcast, but you can go up to the top of a golf swing, produce absolutely no wrist torque or minimal force on the shaft and whip your hands down as fast as you can. Um, and you can have your hands crazy high hand speed, crazy high hand speed and have a peak super early and then have no ability to hit a golf ball. Yeah. So within the constraints of telling people just to maximize club head speed and you know what their hand speed happens to be given that goal, you will see a correlation. But if you tell people to maximize their hand speed, um, the, the, that's actually a great way to create a, so much lag that you can never get it out. Yeah. Right? Um, so for, in, in order to, to change the amount of club head speed to do work on the club, the golfer has to apply force to the club. The greater that average force is over the hand path on the way down, the more club head speed you get. You're going to do more work. But if I'm applying a force to the club, Newton's third law says the club's applying a force back on me, which means that's going to slow my hands down. So if I want my hands to go really fast, there's the irony. There's the cause and effect. The faster I can get my hands going means I need less. I need to apply less force to the club, which means I'm doing less work on the club, which means I'm fucked. <laughs> Yeah, tough, tough paradox. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. But no, that that's great. I think that will definitely help people to understand because it is something that you hear thrown around. Oh, he's amazing hand speed. And you're like, 
what does that mean? I think you mean clubhead speed. You know what I mean? When people say that, that's yes. often what they what they mean, I think. Or they're talking about that late release, like we talked about earlier in the episode, where yeah. it looks like that there's tons of speed late because they're able to delay that release, but it's not how quickly their hands move. Yeah. Which so, is what hand speed is. Yeah. And um yes, yeah, so you look at Marty, there's definitely no correlation between hand speed at impact and club head speed. So Marty's yep. down at two miles per hour, but he's got 124 mile an hour club head speed. Yeah. Right. And there'd be, you could easily find someone with 10 or 12 miles per hour hand speed that swings it at 85. Yeah, no, that's, that's perfect. I've one last question, Sasha. This is a selfish one that I was going to ask you after we wrapped up, but I might as well keep it on the recording because it's something that people might be interested in. So you mentioned the swing that I posted training with the stack last week where you said it looked like a really good swing for me in terms of things you'd like to see for speed. So that was a slow-mo video, I think. I might have posted the full-speed one too. But what's interesting is for me to swing like that, I'm, even though it looks it looks good, whatever aesthetic you know desires you have, but that's actually quite slow for me relative to how fast I can swing it if I feel like I release the wrists way earlier, I do things with my body and like the club or the stack that I don't like and that I definitely want to, you know, move away from in my golf swing. And you said that those positions or that movement, you know, looks more beneficial for speed from a mechanics viewpoint, but it is a lot slower, probably about 10 or 12 miles an hour slower. Do you think that that's likely like a coordination thing, getting used to what that new movement would feel like and over time, as you get more used to it, you can ramp up how quickly everything else is moving. Because for now, to make that happen, there's definitely other things slowing down, which leads to less overall clubhead speed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would like to, um, you know, not know enough about your, your situation. I, I, I like that explanation. But I would like to um, remove the ball. So remove the worry about the face where the face is pointing just to see, you know, if we remove that element, does that allow you to be a little bit more comfortable um, getting into those positions? Even though it sounds like you're, we're not even talking about ball. You're, you're just saying, Hey, when I just swing the stack, um, my less aesthetically pleasing looking swing generates higher speed. Yeah. And maybe, and maybe things that might contradict what we were talking about earlier in terms of the late wrist angle. I don't know because I'm not measuring it. I'm looking at video and I'm, feeling things when I'm moving very quickly, but it it feels like that I can make the club head move faster at impact if I release earlier and release as hard as I can. Whereas when I try and get myself to have that real delayed release, I do other things which slow me down to allow that happen, if that makes sense. There's probably a change in intent too in terms of how hard I'm trying to go because I'm concentrating on what's happening as opposed to making it go as quickly as possible. Yeah, I re- what you just said twenty seconds ago was was bang on. Is that um, the, you're you're probably scaling down the effort level to make that move, um, and if yep. and, and that uh, the 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 issue is that um, you're not comfortable having that high effort level with that new coordination pattern. Yeah, I can't do it yet, basically. But I'm, yeah. I'm hoping that with time and with training and practice, that's that's the goal of, of, the, of the drill, basically, of the practice. 
Yeah. You know what? Yeah. And it's worth working on. You know, one of my philosophies with, with uh, good players, and you're right on the edge of that level of good, maybe not quite there yet, but it's, um, I rarely like uh, anybody that's good working on something that they're not comfortable with. I, I would like, um, you know, if I, if we were going to, if we were going to do something together, I would spend, you know, a good bit of time getting to know your details a little more to find something that you find comfortable that leads to more club head speed. I really believe at your level, I think that there should be a, a, a movement, some feedback, um, a thought, a concept that is more comfortable that leads to higher speed. Yeah. And you just haven't just haven't hit it yet. Um, uh, I think for, uh, you know, if you're shooting 105, then, yeah, you, you know, you might have to do some things on the golf course that don't feel comfortable to get better. That's the reality. But I don't like going there with tour players. I think um, this is to me as a tragic scenario. Um, if you imagine this scenario, and, and, and I know you can relate, um, I, would, I would guess you can relate. Um, you uh, get up onto a par four in the middle of your round, and you make what feels like a really comfortable, repeatable swing. But you also know that that is, you know, you can feel you've, you know, you've, pulled it and hooked it and then, but it was solid contact, high speed, felt really comfortable, felt really repeatable, but balls OB, right? But you, there was that feeling, God, I felt really good. Yeah. Now you got to go to the next hole and let's say you've been working on something that's uncomfortable, but the, the fix tends to, tends to help. I, I want to avoid that situation like the plague. So now you got to, you're, you're getting up to the next tee box and you got to do something that's uncomfortable to get the better outcome. For some people, that might be necessary if their good is so bad, you know? Yeah, yeah. But I would much rather, and I believe that there's going to be a solution for that player where they can make a swing that's even more comfortable or equally comfortable that actually gets a better ball flight or prevents that, you know, that pull hook. Um, so I would say the same thing for 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 speed. And that, that you know, that principle comes from, um, a lot of different sports, learning techniques. You know, I played I played volleyball in university, coached at university, track and field. I did track and field university, a lot of hockey growing up. I coach hockey now. Um, you know, um, I played badminton. I, you know, I kind of did a lot of different things. And um, at some point, you want to be making a change that's more comfortable to lead to the positive outcome. Um, now, that doesn't mean you have to explore a lot of things that are uncomfortable, right? And then maybe you're like, oh, wait. There we go. And maybe it's a, like for me, uh, I've got very limited trail shoulder um, mobility and extra rotation. It's constantly getting, getting tight um, and I need to really work at it. And if I don't work at it, then the swing I need to make feels uncomfortable. So then I need to improve my extra rotation. And then all of a sudden I can make that swing that feels really comfortable and gets the desired effect. Um, and you probably don't have any physical limitations though. So well, I actually have a similar one. My, same exact same thing actually um i struggle with external rotation on my trail shoulder i broke my collarbone when i was a teenager and it didn't quite set properly so my right scapula is a little bit out of position my shoulders a little bit unstable in the socket and it's kind of anteriorly tilted basically rolled forward and uh, definitely limited there so I, I can see and feel that in my swing for sure like i i struggle with that my shoulder likes to go internal rotation and 
that's that's not ideal for certain things. I'm taking my shirt off because oh, my yeah. collarbone is actually see that. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I wish people could see both my my uh, collarbone moving up and down, and Mike looking like he's gonna. It's <laughs> funny. Taking a screenshot of that, that show. <laughs> um, yeah, so I've got similar issues, and also you want to talk about uh, lots of internal rotation. Oh wow! But no yeah, so your shoulder rotation. Your your arms just hanging on to your shoulder, basically. <laughs> it's a glorified prosthetic, yeah. yeah. But so I can relate to that. Uh, so what do you? What are your favorite external rotation drills? Since uh... um, so honestly, with 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 this. <sighs> I don't try and work on it that much because I think most of the limitation is structural. Like it's Mm. due to the way that the bone and skeleton is formed. And when I try and force extra external rotation there, it just doesn't feel good at all. Like it, it feels like that it's the joint is being put under pressure and that I'm gotten about as much as I can from the soft tissue there as such. Um, It really doesn't feel good. Like on my shoulder, I would say, connective tissue and even just the structure when I try and force it. Um, it's more it's more the instability, I think, that causes an issue than the lack of movement because there's just the shoulder can, ro- can go forward and back much more in the socket than it can on my left side, which I didn't break. Um, mm. So it's not, it's not terrible, but it's definitely like that shoulder definitely doesn't work or even look quite the same as the other one. Um, so yeah, it's one of the, it's one of those things that I'll, I'll try and stay on top of the external rotation there, but I'm pretty sure that just based on the way that the bone and scapula have set, that there's not going to be a huge change there. If that makes sense. Yeah, totally. You need to play lefty. I need to play righty. It sounds like the solution will no, meet on the champion store. I, I think I'll keep, I think I'll keep going righty. That's hard enough. <laughs> um, Sasha, that is fantastic. I won't keep any more of your time but i really appreciate the info that you've provided and hopefully it's really useful to people um do you want to let people know where they can find out more about you and the stack before we go yeah i'm i'm terrible on social media but i do every once in a while post something insightful on twitter so follow me on twitter um at sasha mckenzie and please check out uh the stacks instagram my wife does all our instagram posts she's really uh, amazing at that so um uh, the stack system on Instagram and you can check out uh, the stack system.com. We've got um, uh, uh, maybe uh, almost 40 tour pros now uh, using it. And I Mike secretly, well, not secret. I believe that the stack is actually going <laughs> to change the uh, average club head speed on tour. Cause if I look at just how much those tour players have in- increased their club head speed, I think, you know, this year is going to be, you know, maybe like 115, 116 by the end of the year. I just posted yesterday about how quick the players have been so far this season relative to other seasons. Um, it's it's going up. Like they're, I, I compared it to 2016. So the average ball speed in 2016 was 167 point something. And currently, so far this season, it's 171 point something. But the top players haven't even really gotten going yet this season. And it's all that difference is worth the six yards difference in the average driving distance. So it's it's interesting. Well, and you think like the guy, most of the guys that have um, 
you know, started stacking have been some of the guys in the low 100s, you know, so uh, like Brendan Todd or uh, Andrew Putnam, um, he, he put on 30 miles per hour. No, all that's not transferring to yeah. uh, the, the course, obviously, but but enough, you know, if you get 30 or 40 guys going up one or two miles per hour. Um, anyway, that's just my own selfish little yeah. plug. No, but, yeah, it's a neat good. way to have that's an influence excellent. over a lot of people. So, yeah, check out the... Check out the stack, stacksystem.com. Perfect. And go to uh, actually um, check out, uh, um, I probably shouldn't say it, but you've got a, um, I think you've got a affiliate thingy. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to, I was going to give that out at the end. Okay, great. Don't worry. Perfect. Okay. Sasha, thank you very much. And I will talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks, Mike. As you heard Sasha mention at the end of the show, He has a swing speed training system called The Stack System, which is for sale on the website thestacksystem.com. I'm an affiliate for this product. I have used it myself. I have suggested to many players that I work for that they use it. It's gotten extremely popular um, due to really positive reviews on social media. And if you would like to get a stack system with 10% off, you can use the discount code FFG22 at checkout. If you have any questions about the stack system, you can get in touch with me or Sasho on social media. We'd both be happy to answer them. I really like these types of products because it's different to buying a new driver or a new putter. They don't work unless you put the work in with them. So it will help you with your clubhead speed and distance, and it's also exercise. So it's a really good idea. It also makes a great gift. And as I said, if you're interested, you can get 10% off with the code FFG22 at thestacksystem.com.